morning, friends. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be reading verses 6 through 10 today. Uh, You may remember that last week we looked at the Apostle Paul. We looked at how he uh, prepared his protege, Timothy, to preach to the Jews. Uh, And this week we're going to be looking at where Paul, where he went next, uh, and perhaps most importantly, where he didn't go. And so if you'll follow along with your eyes, uh, I'm going to go through our passage. We're going to start in verse 6. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, we, we ask that you help us to treasure it in our hearts, knowing that this is your letter to us. This is your gracious gift to us, to help us to know your character. And Father, we pray that, uh, that we will focus on that today as we try to understand what it means uh, to listen to the Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Move this down just a tad. So when I was thinking about how am I supposed to preach from this text, um, I had an instinct that some of you geography folks would probably appreciate, and that was to include a map. And so um, I'm going to do that very quickly just for the visual Um, If you look at this red line, you'll kind of see um, where they're coming from. They started out down there in uh, Antioch, which is kind of almost the the farthest to the right and up on the red line. They started in Antioch. They came up here. This is their second missionary journey. They're at Antioch at Pisidia. I'm sorry, they didn't start at Antioch. They started at Antioch at Pisidia. They came back through Antioch. They started here, and they went up, but instead of uh, going up into Bithynia, they were basically told by the Holy Spirit not to go. And instead of preaching in Asia, they travel. I mean, look at, look at that distance. They travel all the way across Asia from roughly this little river here on the right over to Mysia. They traveled that entire distance without stopping to preach the gospel. It's interesting. There's some questions that kind of come to mind there. Um, Now that we've kind of got an idea of of where Paul and Silas were headed, the couple of of really big questions that come from this passage, and we're going to look at both of them, but the first only briefly. Uh, The second question is really what the sermon is about. But but this first question, while the kids are are looking at the the bingo pictures and whatnot, why did God prevent Paul and Silas from going into Bithynia? And, And why were they forbidden to speak the gospel in Asia even as they were traveling through it? Why did he prioritize Macedonia by sending a vision to Paul? And the answer to those questions are we don't know. We don't know. Now, there are some theories, and if they're right, they give us, I believe, some insight into the heart of God and also into the nature of man. For instance, Paul seemed to to focus on the larger cities when he was setting up his own itinerary, so to speak, and the cities had a lot of Jewish people in them, and they tended to be more affluent, whereas Macedonians were much less wealthy. You see in 2 Corinthians, there's a place where it refers to them giving out of their poverty. So 
Some believed that God was putting them first so that they would have a chance to be spiritually blessed ahead of those who were materially blessed. And, and perhaps God knows that those who are in poverty are more likely to understand dependence on him and they're more likely sometimes to respond to the gospel message. I mean, I think that's certainly a possibility. It may also be that the, the Bithynians had already heard the word of God from Peter because he'd apparently already been that way and perhaps God knew Asia wouldn't respond because their hearts were hardened at that time. Again, we don't know, but the reasons that the Spirit prohibited them from, from doing what they would normally do in this, in this situation seems kind of mysterious. But another really pressing question, to my mind anyway, is how did the Holy Spirit make His will apparent to them in this case? Or maybe more pointedly, how did they listen to the Holy Spirit in such a way that they were able to know precisely how they were supposed to respond? And I think this is a truly pressing question for a lot of Christians because we want to know how are we supposed to, to apply to our own walks this concept of, of listening to the Spirit. If, if we could discover, I think, if we could discover what the Apostle Paul was able to know so clearly how to discern God's will for him, I think maybe we would figure out how we can listen to the Holy Spirit. And so it, it's, it's interesting for us to, to process this. Hence the, the title of this message. I, th I think there may be some clues, though, in this passage, and it's wording based on God's actions as Luke describes them. So let's dive in. I'm going to read the first sentence again, and we'll talk about it. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Let me ask you all a question. Does God lie? Wow, that was pathetic. Does God lie? Is the Bible reliable? Okay, great. Okay, so we know that God doesn't lie. We know the Bible is true and reliable. So, so this sentence clearly tells us something that the apostles could know, even though we may not be sure what that looked like. Okay, Luke says the Holy Spirit had forbidden something. In this case, speaking the word in Asia. This is really kind of odd because, again, they were traveling through Asia. Why weren't they supposed to preach? Well, God knows, but it's interesting that the Holy Spirit would forbid them from preaching. So that's the first odd thing, but we'll read on here. Uh, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, who is the Spirit of Jesus? The Holy Spirit, right. Okay, that's uh, just referred to differently in this case. Because remember, Father, Son, and Spirit, they are one essence, God in three persons, Right? So they're all, they're all the, the same essence. This is not a new character being introduced. It's just another name for the Holy Spirit. So while the previous verse tells us the Holy Spirit had forbidden something, this one says the Holy Spirit did not allow something. It's a very similar term, but slightly different. Like you might forbid a toddler from running into the street, but if they disregard your instructions, then you can also not allow them by having a good grip on them. Or uh, I remember one time we were about to go into a lady's house uh, in Sherman, Texas, and I was getting my guitar out of the back of, we were going to go to sing at an old folks home. Anyway, and so I'm getting the guitar out of the back, and Jonathan, who at the time was five or six, tried to run past me into the street, and there was a car coming, 
And so I put my foot up real quick on the, on the bumper because I had stuff in my hands. And he went into my leg, and the car went zoom by. And I thought, look at you. You almost ran out. The, you, know how, you know how it hits you when all of a sudden you realize what could have happened? Terrifying, okay? Now, he had already known better, but he was five, you know. But he had already known better than to run into the street. He'd already been instructed not to, but that time I did not allow it. Okay, so there's a difference between forbidden and not allowing. So again, the Holy Spirit is working to prevent God's will, excuse me, Paul's will, don't get that wrong. The Holy Spirit is working to prevent Paul's will by redirecting him to be in line with God's will. Okay, now continuing on. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. In my mind, I keep thinking it's a dream. It doesn't say that. Specifically, it says a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And this is interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, because they may have been planning to stay a while in Troas. But God, again, has other plans. And also, because it says a vision appeared to Paul in the night, but not a dream. And we're going to come back to that. But, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately... He says, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, so before we get into what this is saying about listening to the Spirit, I, I, please note, this is the first time in the whole book of Acts that Luke writes, we and us. Because up until this verse, Luke has been speaking in the third person because he's, he's merely repeating you know, what he's been heard under the, the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit, what he's heard from other people. But here, suddenly, he switches to first person because now he's reporting on what he's seen, on what he's participated in, okay? And Luke apparently joined Paul and Silas, uh, and, and I guess Timothy, at this point in the journey, and then he traveled with them for a time, which is really cool. But anyway, uh, while the first two points are about how the Holy Spirit prohibited something, this passage shows us that the Holy Spirit both urged and called the apostles to the next step in the mission. Because we know this, this vision of the Macedonian man was from the Lord. We, we know it was the Holy Spirit that was urging Paul in this vision. I mean, it wasn't a real person in, in the sense of a human being, this Macedonian man. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to him in a vision. And we see that they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. And this is really nifty. I mean, I, I think it's cool that, that Luke specifies that they concluded God's will from the vision as opposed to Jesus showing up as he did um, you know, on the road to Damascus in a bright light, uh, giving specific instructions. And so this whole section is a good reminder to us that God does not always reveal his will directly. Sometimes he does so indirectly and he gives us the opportunity to infer from that. And that's where I think a lot of us struggle because we don't like to infer, right? <laughs> we want to be told things specifically. We want God to tell us something directly. Many Christians are, are less comfortable, I guess, with, with what we think of as gray areas, aren't we? And that's one of the reasons we often struggle, I think, so much with discerning the Lord's will in a particular situation. Well, that's one of the reasons. Uh, but anyway, we're going to step back and we're going to apply this here to our own situation. If we desire to listen to the Holy Spirit, what can we know? We can know a few things. 
essentially the same things the apostles knew in the situations. We can know there are certain things that the Holy Spirit has forbidden. We can know more things that the Holy Spirit does not allow. And then we can also know that the Holy Spirit urges us and calls us to do His will in a given scenario. So, very similar to what we just saw with the apostles. And you could say, okay, well, that's great. So now what? <laughs> what are we supposed to do with this knowledge, right? We understand the apostles were able to, to listen to the Spirit and discern these things, but how are we supposed to do that? How do we apply that to our own context? How can we listen to the Holy Spirit? I think Henry Blackaby, in his, uh, his book, Experiencing God, gives a pretty good outline of how God speaks. And it's going to be reflected in this outline. Um, first, if we want to know what the Holy Spirit has forbidden, then we have this incredible guide that was written by those to whom he miraculously revealed his will millennia ago. We have this. It's God's written revelation to us. And I believe that we can also learn what the Holy Spirit does not allow by paying attention to circumstances, which is quite possibly how he spoke to the apostles in today's text. And then we can know that the Holy Spirit urges and calls us through what we hear, and I'm putting that in quotes here, what they hear, as well as through his word and through circumstances. So that's our outline. Uh, and now we're going to take a few minutes on each one of these and kind of try to get a better idea of the mechanics of listening to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start with listening through the Bible, okay? Now, folks, I'm going to make a statement that might step on some toes. And you may think, well, that's kind of normal. We're used to that by now. But this is going to be more of a stomp, okay? So I want you to hear this with an open heart. If you claim to love the Lord, but you do not love His Word then there is a disconnect that needs to be addressed. I'm going to say that again. If you claim to love the Lord, but you do not love His Word, there is a disconnect that needs to be addressed. It's inconsistent for a Christian to be apathetic toward the Bible. I mean, this is God's Word carefully prepared in order that His people might know Him, love Him, and obey Him. And His glorious character and His heart for people has been revealed in His Word. And so having said that, one of the ways that we can listen to the Holy Spirit, and particularly to know what He has forbidden, is to read the Word of God and study it. I do not believe that God will speak to individuals any more definitively than he has already spoken in his revealed word to all of us. And if you're a believer, you ought to get to know his word. I mean, think, do you know what the, the Lord says about specific issues that are, that are hot-button topics today? I mean, this is important. If somebody asks you, why is, is homosexual practice wrong? Or, or why is, is heterosexual practice outside of marriage wrong? Or, or why is abortion wrong? Do you know the answer? Do you know it's because God's word says so? Perhaps more poignantly, what about those sins that, that Jerry Bridges 
cynically called respectable sins. Like gossip, materialism, crude humor, lying, impatience. Do you know that the Bible also says that these things are sins? And, And do you know why God hates these things? Do you know that it's because of His character, His perfect character is in contradiction to these things? Do you know the character of God? Are you in communication with Him on a regular basis? You know, this, this really leads us into the next point. If you're a Christian, you really ought to have an ongoing dialogue with the Lord, one where you're listening to and not just talking. You know, if you're having a conversation with someone and we're never able to get a word in edgewise, would you appreciate that? By the way, if you're nudging your spouse right now, there's a couch in the youth room that you're welcome to use this evening. Um, But seriously, you can remain married to a person and still not have two-way communication, but it's not going to be a healthy relationship, is it? You can shake your head. (laughs) It's not. So pray over the Scripture when you read it. Pray for wisdom and clarity to know God's will by focusing on His character and focusing on His Word. You know, one of the most practical books in the Bible, anybody want to guess? Proverbs is. What's the New Testament equivalent? That's it. Thank you, Brent. James. One of the most practical books in the Bible is James' letter to the Jewish Christians, and it is jammed with good stuff. And I love the promise from verse 5. This is just chapter 1. is so full of stuff. I lean on this promise a lot. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, then let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So if you're better wanting to listen to God's spirit, ask him for more understanding because he will literally never say no. That's a promise. If you ask for wisdom, you will receive it. He doesn't find fault. When you ask. And then perhaps more importantly, we should obey the word that we know. You know, James 1 also says, don't be a hearer of the word only, but do what it says. By the way, folks, this is very much on point. If it feels like a rabbit trail, uh, listen, if you want to know more, about God's will for your life, then walk in His will that you already have. Now, Scripture indicates that obedience to the light that we have brings more light. It's a very famous passage uh, you probably hear a lot. I know you hear a lot from this pulpit. And that's the first two verses of Romans 12. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, Why? which is your spiritual worship. It's odd. Um, I don't really like that translation right there just because it, it doesn't say spiritual worship in the Greek. It says reasonable service. The word is latreo. It, it means like, a, like, a, like what priests used to do in the Old Testament. It says it's only logical. In view of what Christ has done for you, this just makes sense. Be a living sacrifice. 
He goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, listen, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you, did you catch that? By being a living sacrifice and experiencing the renewal of your minds, you are able to test and discern what is the will of God. So in other words, if we stop living for ourselves and live for the Lord, then he's going to reveal even more about what that life should look like. And I believe this to be true generally and specifically. So then um, I'm going to put a bow on this one, okay? If you are intentionally and unrepentantly committing sin in your life, stop it. Okay. When we do that, we're a stumbling block to ourselves. My best friend, John, um, my, probably my best male friend in this world other than Jesus, um, he used to tell me, and he still tells me sometimes, man, get out of your own way. You're a stumbling block if you're intentionally committing sin. You are putting your own stumbling block in your own way when it comes to knowing and understanding God's will. Also, if you're aware of a glaring omission in your life as a Christian, like something that you, you ought to do but you're not, start doing it, right? If you're committing sin, stop it. If you're omitting something and that's a sin, start whatever you're supposed to be doing. It's another James 4, I think. I think it's James 4. It says, anyone who knows the good, he ought to do it and doesn't sins. Am I right? Is that James 4? I wish Craig was here. I would ask him. That's a plug, right? <laughs> whether it's attending worship regularly or whether it's being in the Word or, or praying or if it's forgiving someone who's hurt you or, or whatever, it's time to obey, okay? It's time to obey. So, so these are ways that we can listen to the Holy Spirit by engaging Scripture, okay? Now, what about through circumstances, though? That's a, let's get into that next point. This, this one is a little harder. It's a little tougher to be sure about, unless God shows us definitively, but sometimes that's, that's exactly what he does, right? For instance, let's, let's say you go to a job interview, all right? And, and it, it seems like you had a great interview, but then you don't get the job. Well, it's probably fair to say that it wasn't God's will at the time for you to get that job, right? I'd say that's probably fair, okay? We refer to that as God closing a door, don't we? That's what we normally will say. And I think that's a very appropriate term. You know, if, if God closes a door, it doesn't open again until he says so. You know, and this can be very helpful when trying to determine whether something is within his will or not. Um, I'm going to see if you can identify with this, this prayer, okay? Lord, I really want this opportunity to pan out because it seems like it would be best for me and my family. And so if I get the chance, I'm planning to jump at it. Therefore... If it's not in your will, then I ask that you won't give me that chance. Can you identify with that prayer? Is that a wrong thing to pray? I don't think so. I don't think it's wrong at all, as long as none of the options that you're considering are sinful according to God's word. Of course, if you're, sorry about the sniffing there. If you're asking God to close the door to keep you from doing something that you know is sinful, well, you're already making a bad decision in that case, okay? So, Scripture says that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, 
right? 1 Corinthians 10, it's either 13 or 31. I always get them flipped. But it, it's, it's true that God will always provide a way out. Scripture promises that. Nonetheless, when we come to a fork in the road of life and we're not sure which way to go, assuming neither would be morally wrong, seek God's will and see what he does. Sometimes he'll make it clear by providing an opportunity. And when he does, that is a blessing, right? On the other hand, sometimes God also opens doors. And that can be the Holy Spirit's way of leading us into a new season of life. And when a great opportunity presents itself to to take on a new adventure, it's not wrong to ask God whether it's intended to be pursued. However, uh, the same caution applies here. We must be certain that it's not a sinful path that we're considering. And in either case, it's important to seek the Lord's will by praying and asking for wisdom. You know, on that specific matter, um, again, it, it, it's a promise, again, that you'll receive that if you ask. Just don't assume that you'll get a neon sign. And that's what we sometimes look for. There was, there was one time Shannon and I were trying to choose between two churches, uh, one in Texarkana and one up in Oklahoma, southwest Oklahoma City. And, and uh, we went to visit one, and they had actually put on the sign. Out. So I told them I was looking for a sign, and they said, Mark, here's your sign. Um, we ended up going to that church. Um, but that's rare, though. And um, still to this day, not sure that was the best decision. But uh, anyway, God used it. So please listen carefully. Even in circumstances where there is not a a clear moral imperative, we should still desire to do what would be most in line for God's will with us. Even if it means we're going to have to wrestle with the decision or with the outcome of that decision. Sometimes it's going to be tough. You know, to to be frank, listen, this is an important truth, all right? This is a truth bomb for you. Just because something becomes very difficult does not necessarily mean that God has closed a door. And just because something is super easy does not mean that God opened that door. It may actually mean that that, that you're being tested, that he's allowing you to be tempted to see whether you'll seek his will or not. You know, you look at Joshua 9. I'm not going to go into the whole thing now, but the story of the Gibeonites. If you're not familiar with that, look it up later. Joshua chapter 9. They didn't seek God's will on something, and it didn't work out very well. Okay, so... Circumstances alone, this is really important, they're not usually the best indicator of whether something is God's will, but it can certainly help in connection with other indicators especially. But if you're like me, um, then bless you, um, if you're like me and you tend towards self-doubt, then just know this, God can work with you even if you miss an open door. And he can also work with you even if you try to kick open a door that's closed. He can still do that. Sometimes the very thing, though, that you end up doing, as the saying goes, is praising him in the hallway. You know, you're just waiting for a a door to open. Sometimes the very thing he's working out in us is the ability to wait patiently for him to act and, and to trust him with the outcome. Remember the story of Elijah? Read it earlier today that the prophet, he's exhausted. He's depressed, you know, in spite, of, in spite of just being tremendously used by God. And he's hiding in a cave, right? When God shows up and he has this 
conversation with him. He says, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing here? He asks him that twice, revealing that even in the middle of nowhere, God is present in in the hallway, so to speak. And when Elijah was finally ready to listen, God gave him encouragement and a whole new mission. So if you feel like you're stuck, you know, in between doors, worship him as you wait for his will to be revealed. Because we can listen to the Holy Spirit by being in his word and to a lesser extent by the circumstances we encounter. But there's also a third way, as we saw before. The Holy Spirit urges and calls God's people. He does it in several different ways. You know, in this particular case, God communicated to Paul through a vision, through a very specific vision. And Paul and his, his, his uh, companions, it says they concluded, that's that word again, it means, it means they made an inference from the evidence. They concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. Now, was there some special trick? You know, that Paul had to do in order to listen to the Spirit? As the Spirit was speaking through this vision? I don't don't think so. Not necessarily, anyway. I mean, based on what we read here, I think think we can do the same thing as Paul by just paying attention. What I I mean by this is, is keeping your spiritual eyes and your spiritual ears open. And I think there's at least three, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, voices that we should be aware of, that we should be listening to. Okay, first of all, it's wise for us to pay attention to the inner voice that we have. Now, please understand, even with Christians, this inner voice is not infallible. In fact, I think it's the most likely to lead us astray of these three voices because even though every human being is made in the image of God, Scripture tells us that the unregenerate heart is desperately sick and deceitful above all things. That's according to the book of Jeremiah. And and even those of us with regenerate hearts, we still have that sinful flesh, right? It's constantly at war with the Spirit in us, constantly. However, being created in God's image means that you have a conscience. Every person is born with a conscience, which is God's gift to us that he puts in us so that we can inherently know that some things are just and unjust, fair and unfair, right and wrong. However, uh, you probably are familiar with this. Many people desensitize this God-given conscience by, by consistently choosing to ignore it, and they end up with what is referred to as a seared conscience. But a born-again Christian should have the mind of Christ. And so we, most of all, should have a a feeling or an intuition about whether something is within God's will. But but please, please don't misunderstand. Never, never, ever, ever, at any time should we place our conscience above God's Word. Because the Bible is 100% reliable And friend, your feelings are not. And neither are mine. So if your feelings, if if your emotions lead you into some kind of flagrant violation of Scripture, that is not of the Lord. Okay, God doesn't say, you shall not commit adultery unless you're following your heart. 
God doesn't say, you shall not commit murder unless they really deserve it. That's not how he works. So be aware that our conscience is a valuable tool that God will use to, he'll communicate with us, but you should never, ever trust it over the word of God, okay? It only works, your, your conscience only works if you are sensitive enough to respond to the Lord's leading. Now, on the other hand, if you're convincing your conscience that something is wrong, that, that you're doing something that's a sin against God, even if the Bible isn't specific about that, I think it's safer, I think Scripture teaches us, it's safer to listen to your conscience. Because as Paul says in Romans 14, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you're struggling with something and feeling guilty, listen to your conscience. It's probably better to have an overly, I'm going to say it's definitely better, to have an overly sensitive conscience than a conscience that's seared. Now in our passage, Paul saw a vision and he probably felt like he was being led in a specific way. But notice the language that Luke uses when he says, we concluded that we were being called to preach the gospel in Macedonia. I mean, we all think of Paul as kind of the, the, the big cheese, right? You know, he's kind of the, the head of this crew. And yet here we see that he didn't just make this decision on his own. He brought the issue before his ministry partners, and they talked it out together, and they came to this conclusion in one accord. And in the same way, we Christians can sometimes hear from God by paying attention to external voices, and particularly those of mature believers. Now, that last part is really important. Okay? Too often, I think, Christians ask non-Christians for advice about something really important. And while that's not necessarily a sin to do so, it seems a lot wiser, don't you think, to seek the advice of like-minded believers who share that mind of Christ with us. You know, when it comes to knowing how to handle a situation properly in a godly way, I would trust the advice of a single mature Christian over a dozen non-Christians. Now, again, other Christians aren't infallible either, right? So, so we often have opinions that don't line up with Scripture, but mature believers are more likely to, to know the Word of God and to have experience with walking in His will. And so there's going to be more insight there. It's going to be a better sounding board there. When it comes to spiritual matters, you can always trust a mature believer over a non-believer. Because Scripture tells us a person whose mind is unspiritual cannot comprehend the things of God. So, trust one another. Trust that God speaks through your brothers and sisters. And pay attention to those external voices around you, especially the ones who belong to the faith. Finally, though, there is a voice that is both within you, assuming you're a Christian, and also outside of you, and that is God's transcendent voice by which he speaks to us through various means. You know, in this particular case, again, it was a vision. You know, I've, I've had a dream or two that were from the Lord. I've never had a, a straight-up vision, you know, like in the sense that Peter, when he's on the, the rooftop and he sees the sheet lowered down with the unclean animal, I've never had something quite like that, right? But sometimes God uses things 
that a more cynical mind would dismiss as coincidence. You know, most of you have heard my story uh, of the time that God opened my eyes in the midst of just a, a horrible bout with anxiety and fear that I wasn't really saved. And, and if you haven't heard it, just long story short, God revealed to me in a moment of desperation that I was trying to cling to the illusion of control. And so I felt led to roll down a grassy hill that I used to roll down when I was a little kid. And so I did it. And when I opened my eyes, I looked up and framed by the trees was a huge white cross in the sky where two jet streams had intersected. And immediately, God put in my mind the scripture, my grace is sufficient for you. Second Corinthians. And listen, I still struggle at times, but, but it's, it's, it's that moment when I start going, am I really saved? Yes, your pastor thinks those thoughts. How about that? When I start having those moments, that's what my mind goes back to, along with the promises of Christ in John 5, 24. If anyone comes to me, he says, I will in no way cast him out. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's wonderful that I have those scriptures, but I also have that memory where God spoke in my ear. It wasn't my audible ear, but it was in the ear of my soul. And by God's grace, he pulled together scripture and circumstances and his transcendent voice, and he revealed his goodness to me. And it was pretty awesome. He speaks to us today, friends, if we pay attention, if we follow his lead, and if we do this, we're going to see God revealing his goodness and, and his perfect plan in a whole lot more ways than we typically realize. So all, all told, the greatest way I think that we can see it is through the very message that Luke mentions in verse 10, and that's the gospel. You know, more than any other way, we can know the character of God and we can know the certainty, the implacability of his will by the fact that he sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, taking our sins upon himself on the cross. And then by raising him from the dead so that we might share freely in his life by his grace through faith. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? And if so, have you listened to the Holy Spirit's command through the Word and within your heart of hearts to be faithful to Him? And if you're wondering what His, His will is for you, listen, it starts with faith, leading to repentance and confession and immersion into Christ. And it, and it, it blooms into the wonderful fruit of fellowship with God and His people. It's great to be a part of this church. And to be a part of the church, the body of Christ. And I want to extend that invitation to you today. You know, wherever you are in your faith journey, listen to His Spirit now. We're about to stand and sing together. Listen to His Spirit and obey His will. Son, stop it.